Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Katie. I'm Mel. And we're your hosts. This week, we watched Pitch Perfect 2, directed by Elizabeth Banks, yay, and released in 2015. The plot goes something like this. After a humiliating command performance at Lincoln Center, the Bard and Bellas enter the World Acapella Championships. No American group has ever won, and the Bellas are up against their fierce German rivals, Dust Sound Machine. Um, we have a spoiler warning for this movie. Oh, yes. um, We will be talking spoilers, and it is out in the cinemas at the moment. So if you would prefer to go see it and then come back and listen to it, that is a good plan. Yes, come back, have something to drink, yeah. and listen to this. Because we felt like drinking after watching Pitch Perfect 2, but not in a this terrible movie was terrible way, more in a this movie was fun and we want to celebrate way. And wouldn't it be nice to have fun with your girlfriends kind of way? Mm-hmm. That was it was very life-affirming and happy and wonderful. And, and Hayley Steinfeld, my God, she's so cute. I love her. Yes, yes, she's cute. <laughs> no, I just, she kind of lights up the screen whenever she's on it in this movie. Like, she plays a cute kind of character, but I just think she, because Anna Kendrick, she's a really good foil for Anna Kendrick's kind of sarcastic dour Becca, who's not the most, (laughs) you know, friendly and optimistic and stuff. I love, there's this whole montage, they go off to this camp to bond again, and there's this whole montage of Anna Kendrick making a sour face while she does all these really fun things, and it's hilarious. (laughs) Oh, the bit where she's going down the slippery slide. Oh my god, she's just like, "Mm." (laughs) it was great. Yeah. I mean, Anna Kendrick does a good job, but it's, it's, it was nice to to see those two play off each other. I thought they worked really well together. It's like the um, opposite types of freshmen because Anna Kendrick, when she was freshman in the first Pitch Perfect, was already like sarcastic and whatever. Yeah, this yeah. is stupid. And then, yeah, Haley Steinfeld is gorgeous. This, I just had so much fun. I don't know if I like this one better than the first one or not. I think it probably on par. I only watched the first one last week and I was like, oh my God, where has this been all my life? And then, yeah, this is so much fun. I mean, the plot is fairly similar and it's also mm. fairly like familiar. It's something we've seen before, but it is a lot of fun. Um, for me, I just get really excited whenever I get to see a cappella singing <laughs> and getting to see it on the big screen. And they played out the songs in full, which made me so happy. I think the first one cut off a lot of songs, mm. whereas this one plays a lot of songs in full. And I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, I just, we were talking in the car a little bit about how they got some professional acapella groups because, or, you know, people That's sort of it. what we were talking about. What no, we were talking about was the fact that I have watched all of the sing-off. Sorry. But no, no, what I'm I was sure. saying is that we got, they got some professional acapella groups probably because they didn't have time to choreograph all the routines we see in this movie. Yeah. Like, there's so many routines and we see them. There's a whole bunch of Bellas. Well, it's actually not that many Bellas. There's about three Bellas. We also see, like, the sound machine does, like, a couple of full routines and, like, then there's the whole big sing-off thing with um, Tobias Funke. <laughs> oh, my God. That was so weird. Um, that was weird. Uh, and so, but, we, yeah, we do we see a lot of singing. Yeah, there is a lot of singing. Even when they're not doing, like, routines, there's a lot of singing. So that was really, really fun for me. But, yeah, there's this show called The Sing-Off where they do a cappella singing. It's an a cappella singing groups competition. And there was a It's a few- thing. Who knew? I knew. Of course I knew because I have this weird musical theatre nerd inside me and they have a lot of the college groups and stuff on and uh, and they actually had an all-girl group a little while ago too. And then quite a few of the people from from the a few of the groups from that show were in this movie. So there's Michael from the Dartmouth Airs. He is not with the Dartmouth Airs. He's with a different group, but he's fronting them. Presumably he graduated eventually. <laughs> yeah. And then there's um the Philharmonics who were in the last full season. They're great. They're a Filipino group. And then uh there was Pentatonics who were the most famous group that came out of the sing-off. And they were the Canadians in the end of this movie. They actually had a number one album on the charts like of 
just acapella music. It's quite impressive. I, I did actually, was actually sitting there thinking, I have to buy this music. Like, I want to get this soundtrack and sing along with it and that would be so much fun. Yeah, I, I really love acapella music and it's fun um, to see it showcased. But I also, one of the things I really like about this movie is that in normal singing movies, like the Fantastic Sister Act 2 and things of that nature, you always have this one person who wants to be a singer. Mm. And, like, that's their dream is to be a singer. But I like how Becca wants to be a music producer and Emily wants to be a music writer. There's something really nice and kind of feminist in the fact that they want to, like, make their own stuff Mm -hmm. or make music in other ways, not just being the singer of the music. They're not relying on anybody else. They're making their own stuff. I think I actually think that's really important. Yeah, I, I didn't even think that through because all the others, they also have their own kind of dreams that aren't necessarily just being the singer. They definitely all want to be in control of things or... You know, t- I think Chloe wants to teach and stuff like that. <laughs> no, I believe what she said was she wanted <laughs> she to teach underprivileged kids <laughs> or be an exotic dancer, depending on what paid more money. <laughs> I also oh my really God, genuinely thought at some point that Chloe and Aubrey were going to start kissing. Which one's Aubrey? The blonde girl from oh, who, right. who had graduated already and who yeah, came yeah, yeah. back in. The, like, there's a whole bunch oh, of very lovey-dovey I, stuff with them. I, I love all the, um, what's it called? It's like homoerotic, but for women. Um, I, I don't know what the word is. But I love all homoerotic the- is for women though. Homoerotic just means yeah, like- yes, it is. Um, yeah, all the homoerotic overtones about yeah. like how they they spend so much time together and they really like one another. And in fact, um, Becca's boyfriend is basically pushed aside for the whole movie. But he He's- was in the first one as well. Yeah, um, but in the first one there was the story of them getting together. In this one, I thought they were going to break up at the end because basically he's. Like he's there as you know cheerleader and supportive guy, but he literally has nothing else to do. I kind of liked that though. Oh yeah, I like how there's wonderful. a guy who's literally just the he's love interest sidelined, it's and fantastic. he gets to sing a couple of times. Yeah, and which he- is good. That's a position that you should be putting Skylar Aston in. He gets to like dance and sing a few times, and then yeah, but he's mostly the- not necessary. <laughs> yeah, but I like that, that was awesome. Like, like it's such a wonderful change to see a movie that's just like a big group of girls hanging out together it's so rare and also it's super funny and you have so much fun there's just mm. i just oh my god it's so refreshing and i, I did, it still has that kind of slightly acerbic undertone to it too which i think elizabeth banks really helps with yes i, I was thinking that it's a really good so she i think she's done a really good job as director in this and i noticed a couple of things like there's a scene where the girls are jumping around and they're actually shot so you can't see their boobs. Mm-hmm. That would never happen with a male director. They, if they were jumping in a routine, oh, you'd be seeing jiggling and you don't see any jiggling. But um, she she's the director and I think Kay Cannon, who's the writer, I believe she's Saturday Night Live. So okay. kind of the same tradition as Amy Poehler and Tina Fey. Kind mm. of, and it's got a real sharp edge to it, the script. Well, it has that kind of um, sketch comedy edge to it, mm. be- partly because Keegan-Michael Key is also in this movie mm. and his bits – a very, like, you can tell that there was some improvisation in his parts. Um, I also thought there might be some improvisation in the, oh, I can't remember the name of the guy, the the gay guy who organizes the big sing-off. Oh, I have no idea. Oh, I, I it's not Tobias Funke. That's his name on Arrested Development. He's David something. The actor is David. So okay. I'll look him up. So uh, Tobias Funke's part, I think yep. he might have done some um, some yep. improvisation yep. as well. Yep. And also possibly in the Elizabeth Banks and uh, that dude who was one on one episode of Psych bits. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> those bits are, those are fantastic. Like That was one of the highlights of the first one is – Elizabeth Banks and the horrible old racist misogynist guy. <laughs> like yeah. it's so funny, and uh, she's just constantly like, "You're the worst." And this, but keeping and this up so the- dry and straight faced. They are just fantastic. Like her hair was amazing. Oh my god, too. her hairstyles sky high and these amazing updos. And oh, she's so fabulous. And just in this tiny little part that 
as director is quite easy for her to shoot because she's always like sitting down at the microphone. Like, but that's the thing. Elizabeth Banks great. is amazing in little parts. Mm. I mean, she's Effie. Yes, yeah, so. she's a real show stealer. She is. She's terrific. Um, and I like how everybody kind of works together. And also the all the Lily asides as well were really funny in this one as well. <laughs> Like the oh, none of belong to other people. <laughs> yeah, that one, and they sleep upside down like a bat. <laughs> but the thing is, it's really funny. Uh, what I found really hilarious was the whole cinema goes like silent whenever she speaks. Yeah, so they can so hear they it. Can hear the jokes. I love it. I love that. It, like everybody knows, especially in a cinema that was like laughing uproariously. There were some points where the whole place just cracked up. There were points when people were clapping, like oh, spontaneous yes, yes. clapping. <laughs> When, we, when um, Fat Amy sings to Bumper because yes. like she first rejects him and then she realizes she's in love with him, which is great because usually it's the other story. way around. Yes, it, it is. It's great because that's usually a reverse sort of thing. Oh, yeah, and yeah. how it's never about Fat Amy being unconfident, but rather her like being completely confident, like being too like, confident. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love that. But also then she comes and she sings, she serenades him, and that whole <laughs> bit is hilarious. But there were people spontaneously clapping during that bit. When like they you kissed, would, yeah. There yeah. was a spontaneous – because people were pissing themselves. Like the whole cinema was cracking up because it goes on – it's in this beautiful sketch comedy thing where it just it goes on just a little bit too long, Which, but that is what makes it perfect. Yeah. She's rowing herself in a canoe across the lake and she underestimated how wide the lake was. <laughs> and then she's trying to cross the road but there's a car coming and they, then like, like the car and her have this like are you gonna go no you go oh no wait i'm gonna go. it's so funny rebel wilson i feel like she stepped up a game in this one i mean she was hilarious in the first one but i feel like she's stepped up in this one i even think more. they gave her a lot of freedom in the first mm. one and in this one they just went you know what do what you want to do and we'll just write the rest of the you movie do you rebel but i feel like everybody kind of does themselves anna kendrick is very anna kendricky mm. yes yes um, i know this is so it's so weird to see because she's actually I mean, obviously, we don't know her, but from what I know of her, this seems the most like her. Yeah. The love of music and the singing and also the snarkiness. I also like I like all the jokes about her being tiny from the <laughs> German competitor and her big girl crush on the German competitor. I, <laughs> that, just, yeah, that's, She does no comebacks because every time she tries to be mean to her, she's like, your hands are so soft. No, wait. Your breath smells yeah. like cinnamon. <laughs> like, I, I love that bit too because – you know, I enjoyed all the homoerotic stuff, although they did kind of oversexualize their, their one lesbian. But anyway, I, I was reminded of the bit where Thor talks about you humans are so strange and tiny. <laughs> petty. Uh, you're petty you and are so tiny. Petty. And I was just imagining like this alternate universe, which that, that actress, is, whose name I can't remember or pronounce. Birgitta something something. Yeah, is like Lady Thor and Anna Kendrick is some other random <laughs> super, superheroine. She could be, no, she could totally be um, Jane Foster. She could be Jane Foster, but she could also do like um, Spider Woman or something like that, one of the snarky ones. Yeah, I just like the idea of her being the love interest to Birgitta's Lady Thor. <laughs> I, where is this movie? Take all my money. <laughs> I did. I, I really great. thought it would have been good if um, Aubrey and, and Chloe had started kissing, though. Because there was I, so much like. I think it would have been more fun if, yeah, it was. there was a lot of queer baiting. Yeah. I feel like other than just um, the one lesbian whose name I don't remember. Esther uh, Dean. Like, instead of just having Esther Dean going, I'm getting married. Like, why didn't we see the love story or have a love story between, you know, two of the other girls? Yeah. I think that would have actually been good because, yeah, it is kind of queer baiting. Yeah, the way and, and it would have made sense as well because the first movie is sort of about how Chloe and Aubrey were together but now <laughs> Becca is coming in and yeah. Chloe's now attracted to her instead and it's her old girlfriend and a new girlfriend. That's, that's yeah. sort of how the first one plays out. I, do, I did really like the cute scene with Fat Amy and Becca in their dorm room. Oh, yeah, yeah. I loved that where she was like, do you want some of my comfort? Oh, <laughs> I'm just going to rub it out. That was really cute. I liked I know. that. I, I feel like that should become a thing. 
Mm-hmm. Like when your friend is feeling down, you you be like, "Do you want some of my confidence? Because I could do to tone it down a bit." And like, <laughs> there you go, and you rub some out. <laughs> I liked it. I'm doing actions in here, by the way, but not that that matters on a sound podcast. Yeah, no, that was really funny. Um, yeah, I I just like the idea of. I mean, it is a story that we've seen before, where like they're graduating and she's thinking about what she's going to do in the future, and you know, everybody else is. There's some people who are stuck and can't move on, and mm-hmm. I mean, it's all been done before, but it's just fun. Yeah, but. How often is it done with all girls and all about girls things? It isn't done very often for us. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what is so important about these movies because they've really, really got a big fandom. I only saw it last weekend for the first time, the first one, but I know from Tumblr that it's hugely popular and it was obvious today at the cinema that this has huge fans and there's all these groups of girls going together like groups of yeah, friends. Yeah, but there were two guys going yeah, together next was, to us. Yes, um, but there were just groups of people going and like mums taking their daughters and mostly female, but it seems like it's a movie people can really bond over and like families and younger girls can really I was enjoy. reading something that actually Pitch Perfect has a pretty big crossover appeal, kind of like um, Hunger Games or something. Ah. But it, it was it's one of those ones that are like – uh, you know, marketed as a girl movie and mm. a chick flick and all that sort of stuff. But then but guys I, I have d- picked it up. Yeah, well, because, I mean, it's so funny. Like, so funny. Yeah. And the, this team, like Kay Cannon and Elizabeth Banks and Rebel Wilson, probably the, you know, the lead comedy people, but the whole team is just amazing on it. Hannah Kendrick's pretty funny. But, yeah, it was. it's all really – I like Britney Snow too. I yeah. like oh, her role. Well, you, of course you do. You like girls like that. You like Monica and – um. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you, you're very attracted to the Slytherin women. I totally get that you like, and the control freaks. And well, like, you know, I'm friends with you. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> of course, I like those. Women. Yeah, I think they're great, and I love bossy girls too. And I, I like those kinds of roles because, like, you don't always get to see them as the good guys. Yes, you know, and and you don't always get to see them as like these, you know, people who are in charge and and who get nervous about the future and who want to be in control of things all the time. You don't often see them as being one of the heroes. Yeah. So I like that Chloe is like that. She she. You know, she's real and she's human and relatable. Yeah, and and you, there's like a really nice friendship that forms between Chloe and uh, well, between um, Becca and Haley Steinfeld's character Emily. Yeah, it's like a kind of mentoring like, sort of aspect to it. There's it's somebody really else good. in the group who really likes Emily and who's always including her and stuff, but it's not Chloe because Chloe and Emily kind of clash, which is interesting. I like that it's not like all easy. And Fat Amy just doesn't kind of get Emily. <laughs> no, Fat, Fat Amy's just like, um, you weirdo. Which I is really- funny because Emily's got a lot of the same things that Fat Amy does where she just like has to speak up and she's always kind of inserting herself. Yeah, but I think the way that Emily does it is a bit more like cute than yeah. what Fat Amy does. But there's uh, – no, there's somebody else in the group who's always supporting her and I can't remember who it is. Maybe the, the Hispanic girl. I kind of liked her oh, role. Oh, she was she fantastic. Was very funny. Oh, all those snarky comments about I might get deported after this, which is funny because um, Rebel Wilson's character being Australian also might get deported after she finishes school and doesn't yeah, have Yeah, but it. see, yeah, she and lives in the moment. Yeah, I know. But and like, also her country is not quite as... Yeah, uh, it was, but she's a white person, right? Yeah. That, was, that snarky stuff was fantastic. It was really funny because it's just, this, like, Chloe is like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And she's like, yeah, I had diarrhea for seven years before yeah. I came here. But I this is totally yeah. the worst thing that's ever happened. Maybe it was – I can't remember all the people in the group now, but, like, I it was it interesting to, to see. those two girls that, that they always forget about and they always hang a Jessica on and it. Ashley? Yeah. Cute. It's just so cute. Oh, I love these movies. I wish I'd discovered them earlier. They're just wonderful. They are. They're really wonderful and they're really funny and, and like, 
I like that kind of bittersweet thing where there's mm. the mix of like really, really super optimistic and positive with that kind of acerbic snarky undertone that yeah. always works really well a for lot me. of it is a, like a real fantasy kind of thing you know well maybe i'm just the one who has fantasies about being in, a performer and all that but <laughs> it's funny i really don't but i love it much more than you do i it's it's like wish fulfillment but it's also you really feel like it belongs they they live in the real world yeah and they're real people yeah i think that's the ultimate kind of secret of the pitch perfect movies is that they're really super relatable yeah, even though they're talented, like, you know that they work really hard. You get all the training montages and yeah. kind of – it's not about them being talented. It's about them working for what they've got. Yeah. There was a moment in the movie that really made me emotional and when they're at the camp and they all start singing the Cups song. Oh, yeah. Oh, that and was And they beautiful. were like, it's never going to be like this again and all that sort of stuff was really emotional. It worked really well. Also, the um, I think Elizabeth Banks did a really good job of directing all the musical numbers in the way that they build and the way that they make you like experience the numbers because oh, yeah. like – when the um, dust sound machine come on, it is just this kind of barrage of sound. Yeah, that one like with, with the, really the big VW face. ad, that yeah. was amazing. You can, yeah. t- you can tell this is a sequel and that the first one was really popular because there's so much product placement. But this is this is what's interesting is that that is like really – and there's so many cameos, celebrity yeah. cameos. <laughs> yeah. well, but we'll get back to that. <laughs> um, that's so in your face and like just this kind of onslaught of singing and, and showmanship, right? But then the last Bella's routine – has this beautiful emotional build-up where they do the like the clapping first, which is a callback to cups, how they yeah. did the cup thing, and then um, run the world, and like, then they do oh. the girls bit so that they get you into the girl power mode, and then they do the original song that like Emily's gone through the and, whole thing and, with. Oh my god! And they bring back all the old Bellas and the old Bellas, oh. and Katie Siegel is on stage singing with her daughter, and you're just like, oh my god, girls, girl power, ah! and and like and the flashlights because the boyfriends give out the flashlights yeah. in the audience so that people can wave them when they start singing it so there's all this support from their boyfriends and like the boyfriends are the cheerleaders and you're just like oh my god and like the boys come dressed up in red white and blue and they're like with the big flag they're yeah. so cute and they push their way to the front and that little that- squirrel boy storyline though i thought i mean it worked well with them and it's cute but i don't like the glorification continued glorification of a guy who like can't speak when he meets a girl and puts her on this pedestal yeah. and then yeah, I, yeah. Me. I mean, they did make up for it with the Rebel Wilson saying no, the guy just going, okay, and moving on. And then she go. And he then doesn't her, move on, but he's really upset, but like but, he still says but he's, okay. He's okay with it, right? Yeah. And and also he's confident enough to actually go, no, I'm not going to keep up the buddy thing. Mm-hmm. So, which is also an interesting um, thing there too. But but then she has to do the big romantic gesture and the winning him back. And that's this beautiful role reversal. But yeah, the one with the, the magician guy and he's so awkward and nerdy and he, he just is all over this freshman who's clearly four years younger than him as well. Like, that's a bit gross. That doesn't bother me as much because it just doesn't. I mean, they're both at college. They're both, you know, students. They're both adults. That's fine. Like, they're, it's yeah. only a four-year it, difference. But it's too, that, so it that sort really of awkky, that, that, but the awkwardness of it all is... It's is, more that the, I don't like the concept of this person who, the guy who completely loses the ability to speak when he meets a girl because she's pretty. Like, it annoys me. And the concept that that's, like, romantic and that his constant pursuit of her is romantic. Well, yeah, I think it's the pursuit thing. The whole, like, she sees him and she's a bit kind of, not, I, not exactly scared, but kind of just like, um, what? That's not entirely true, though, because she kind of likes him. Like, she sort of goes, oh, it's so cute, but no, through the whole thing. But then you'd think he would just take the but no, damn it. And, and like, he doesn't, yeah. I would like it better if she had 
reciprocated similar in kind. Like if when yeah, I mean, she, he she was all awkward eventually. with her, then she would be all like awkward with well, him yeah, back and the, then from the, the beginning thing, and that would set it up a little bit better. I think they do redeem it though in that like there's that bit with the at the bus where she deliberately goes and seeks him out and says you know, talks to him before she goes on retreat. Yeah, but that's the thing is that like they make it clear that she likes him but she's just saying no because of blah. It, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't like that, that story. Is, no. That whole storyline should just be retired for a little while unless it's the other way around but the girl who wants the guy isn't seen as desperate, which is irritating. Yeah, that was another wonderful thing about the Rebel Wilson bumper thing is that usually the fat girl would be seen as desperate but she's not at all. No. That's what's great about her whole character, I think. That I mean, her whole character is great. I didn't realize there were people who were really hardcore fans of Pitch Perfect as well. Like, I, I knew it was big and a lot of people liked it, but I didn't realize that there was, like, a obsessive fandom of people who wanted to pose with the the cardboard. Oh, the cardboard sorry, cutouts and stuff. The yeah. cardboard cutouts and, like, there were people who who got really, really excited when the girl from the first movie showed up. Like, everybody cheered, so they mm. were clearly already very invested in this. Yeah. And, uh, like, when they made jokes that were referencing the first one, people were really excited. So they really, really know the first one. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that's a I, – I do think that's a thing. I, I'm not in the fandom or anything, but I do know that there were people, like, for a year afterward d- quoting, you know, Fat Amy things like, oh, yeah, I, I think I'm going to skip the cardio. The mermaid thing cracks me up oh, from the God, first one. Oh, yeah. God, That always makes me laugh. And it's I, I think I just like her, her whole thing. And, like, also – the whole being Australian and also um, making fun of Australians. Like the, the first one, she's, you know, kind of racist and anti-Semitic and stuff. And it, it's this beautiful kind of a satire of what Australians are like. Mm. I also thought that it was interesting to watch this in an Australian cinema. I'm sure it's very different oh, in American cinema. Oh, there's certain jokes that she made that were really cracked people up. Yeah. But no, there was there was one I remember that was like people cracked up and probably wouldn't get the same reaction in America. But I like that she's telling Australian jokes from the perspective of an Australian. Because, you know, you watch things like... Um, and, and you also get that great bit with the Bumper where he's trying to do her accent or yeah. he does this and she's like, I don't sound like that. And, he, and she really doesn't. No, of course not, because, because nobody can do it. But it just reminds me of stuff like Pacific Rim. Oh my god! And every time, they, every time I read something about Pacific Rim and they talk about the Australians, and I'm like, what Australians? If you go back to our review, you'll see that I actually didn't know they were Australian until like two thirds of the way through the movie. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, I mean, Americans are just terrible, and they don't really understand understand Australia at all, yeah. whereas Rebel gets to make all these jokes that are yeah. Australian jokes oh, and, that and we get and yeah. that, that work for us. Rebel made her career by, like, she comes from the western suburbs of Sydney. She came up through the Uni of Western Sydney Drama School and all this kind of stuff. She actually comes from middle Australia and she really understands that world and that's how she, that's her kind of background and shtick. Can I just say, I think her name suits her quite well. Isn't it wonderful? From what I've heard in interviews, she sounds like she has this, she comes from this like crazy family. Her mother was like a dog breeder or something. And she lived in this house with all these like championship show dogs. And she sounds like she comes from this amazing, creative, wacky family. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to produce somebody who's quite as interesting as her. Before the, we saw the movie, I was talking about Rebel on an interview that I saw with the Graham Norton interview with Matt LeBlanc. And, and Which we're totally linking to in the show notes, by the way. Yeah, because and it's awesome. Kit Harrington, where she does um, nunchucks. But she also is very sort of – she says that she's never seen Friends and she's never seen Game of Thrones. But, like, when they try to shame her about it, she just won't – it won't take. Mm. She's just like, no, I haven't seen it. This kind of really interesting power thing where, like, she's surrounded by guys and, you know, a lot of girls would sit on the couch and – deflect and giggle and all that sort of stuff and rebel just absolutely refuses um 
I'm trying to remember what else happened in it so I can talk. I mean, I, I, this is the thing. I, I loved it. I felt so happy. It gave, it gave me this wonderful emotional journey. But can I remember lines from it right now, even though I saw it, you know, three hours ago? <laughs> nope. <laughs> I do want to say there's a couple of really weird things in the editing mm. that I thought didn't work. The, there's a party scene that actually literally serves no purpose for the plot whatsoever. It's early on. Oh, they yeah, take Kaylee Steinfeld the, to the, the pool. And I feel like they, they cut something from that scene that was supposed to be important and they didn't like because they could move um Haley Steinfeld and Anna Kendrick's meeting to somewhere else. That was totally like mm. the whole scene was totally unnecessary to the movie. So I feel like there was something that happened in that scene that they cut, but they kept the rest of the scene for no reason and they should have just cut the whole scene. Yep. That didn't really work. There were a couple of weird continuity errors and major continuity errors where something that was in the scene just before left disappeared okay. and it was because of I think it probably because of a cut, but they didn't quite match it up properly so there was a couple of things that really took me out because i noticed them a lot i didn't notice any of these continuity yeah. errors yeah. I, I don't know why i noticed them so much but that there were quite a few things that i was like that doesn't work you can't like he was over there and now he's right in front of her what the hell happened mm. like there were a few things yeah like that. i i think some of that stuff can probably be put down to like a first-time director and also a cast that's very improvisy. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of improvisation. Um, there's a few Keegan-Michael key scenes especially that mm. kind of fit into that where they clearly thought this is the best take but they matched it with a scene that they had shot earlier that didn't yeah. that didn't match up with that take. Yeah. He was terrific, by oh, the wasn't way. wasn't he? And the whole Dax thing. <laughs> Just so you know, I was really attracted to him in this movie. I mean, he was a jerk. But like, but yeah, but he was—he did a great job in nice shirts. But but he, <laughs> he also did really this good. great job of like, um, he really smacked down that guy in the office who has to speak up at every the occasion. Guy. Well, not just the hipster thing, but who was also, also cute, by the way. No, but I liked he was, both of them. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. But he wasn't just the hipster guy; he was the guy who like has to speak first in every meeting and has to talk over everybody mm. and has to be like that guy. And smacking that guy down is in itself kind of a feminist act because it's always that guy. Yeah, and he was interesting because he was so supportive of Anna Kendrick yeah, in this kind of awkward roundabout way. And yeah. I liked that. I actually quite liked the internship scenes. Uh, I mean, in a lot of movies, they might have actually distracted from the main point of the show, of the movie, because they are kind of tangential and they're only about Becca for most of the movie. But they worked really well in this, I well, thought. I think the important undertone of this was that they're doing this for the last time and they're graduating and they're moving on to something different. They might they might well still do acapella and I can almost certainly imagine Chloe still finding somewhere to do acapella after she leaves school. But that sort of overarching thing is about, you know, finishing and moving on and trying different things. So it actually fits really perfectly with following her character journey. How does she take, you know, the interest in producing to the next level and try something different and grow yeah. in it? And it was, it, I think that's kind of the important thing. And I liked theme. the bonding between her and Emily in that she was sort of the Chloe to, to, yeah, that mentor. Emily that Chloe had been to her yeah. in the movie before and it was cute and I enjoyed it. There's so, we're so often sold this lie of female competition mm. and both her and Chloe and her and, um, the other blonde girl is named Aubrey and, and then, her and Emily, like there's this passing the torch, mentoring, helping the other girl get ahead in life. But I also like that they don't all kind of get along all the time, but they all generally do mm. well as a group. And I, I like that there's like little subtleties like that. But I just remembered when uh, Emily says, I want to feel like a real Bella. And Fat Amy's like, you are a real Bella. You paid the fee. <laughs> 
That made me laugh oh, really hard. That was that's like classic fat Amy though, because the whole um that bit where um she's right here, guys. I can't. I want to talk negatives. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like, get so Amy. It's beautiful. And and she takes things so literally, and then um it's just really fun. I I mm. liked it a lot. And uh, I'm happy to watch all of these actresses do things. And yeah, I love. Uh, God, I worship at the altar of Anna Kendrick. She's genius. <laughs> yeah, she, she is. She's amazing. genius. And basically, her whole thing at the moment is is singing in movies. And she doesn't like. There's so many actors and actresses who try and move away from that, and who try and move away from their musical roots and pretend that that's not something that they can do and that kind of upsets me because <laughs> I love musicals and I like how Anna Kendrick embraces that so much. Well, I, I, I love that like one of the biggest musicals is a movie that you don't even, it's not even advertised really as a musical. It's like you, this isn't, I mean, it's yeah. a musical movie, but, and, and it would fall into the stuff like fame. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I love that it's all female as well because I have a suspicion and this comes from only having like lived in dorms with other teenage girls is that those groups of girls like go home and practice the choreography and like do their own acapella. I feel like it's a really, um, it's a really girly thing to do to kind of get together and do performances and do singing and stuff together. I, I really like that. That's one of the, one of that sort of female friendship kind of definitely a very girl story aspect to it. Okay. I, I feel like ascribing those kinds of gender things to musical theatre is implying that musical theatre is feminine in some way and that causes a lot of problems with it as well, like assuming that all the dudes in musical theatre are gay and stuff, I which d- I know I'm, that's not yeah. what you were trying to do, but uh, that's kind of where my so mind went. To me, yeah, f- musical theatre is a really female thing to do, because, but it's got to do with my sort of all-girls school background. In my head, this is like a very female college experience. And there's actually problems experience. with like, you know, it being direct, a lot of directors being men. Yeah, and a lot of writers. And, yeah. I think there's also a problem with like the, the, and I know that's not what you were trying to do, but that's kind of where I went because in my high school, which was all girls as well, we would always join up with the boys high school to do the musical theater and only the really confident guys would get into it because a lot of the guys who were talented would be like, no, I can't do that because it's seen as too girly. And, oh yeah, there's a lot of that, and I don't like how the feminine is associated with the negative. And but even yeah. in this movie, there's that joke that Fat Amy when they mm. go to the party, and Fat Amy's like, "Be prepared to meet a lot of sexually confused guys because mm. it's all a cappella sort of a thing." So. Yeah, which is weird because like a lot of the groups seem to be either mixed or mostly male, right? The which is an female group thing, is, yeah. is is quite rare, and so just given the sheer numbers. And percentages. There's probably most of the men aren't going to be gay. There is a whole problem in a cappella, actually, which I think they dealt with more in the first one, which makes sense because in the first one, that's more of a plot point, um, which is that all guy a cappella groups tend to be much more successful than all female a cappella groups yep. because they don't have a, there's no, what they call a true base in yep. female a cappella groups. It's very hard to find a true base. Yeah. And even female in the voice. first one, it's because, um, Chloe's had nodule surgery and so she can do a bit a slightly lower range and they're like, oh, wow, this makes us sound so much better. Which is better. totally ditched in this one, by the way. But yeah. Um, but yeah, all female groups actually do have struggles getting recognized in a cappella specifically, mm. um, which was a real plot point in Pitch Perfect. And th- that's fine and all, but that's a problem with the people who are watching. There's no reason why a group of women can't sing an amazing arrangement of a song and it sounds amazing. Yeah. It's and just if you people have got group- real prejudice about whether things should have bass in them. I mean, it is kind of an issue in that it's it's quite difficult for them to get ahead because they can't produce the same sound. Yeah, but Whereas that's what I mean. The, the, a, a, an all-male group could, could could produce the same sound as an all-female group, depending on the mix of voices that you get in there. But an all-female group can't produce the same sound as an all-male group. Uh, yeah, I still feel like that's a problem with the judges, not with the groups themselves. Yeah. 
fat women are often better at getting the bigger notes and getting lower. So that's interesting. And and the Bellas obviously have a couple of women who are. Yes, I like the diversity in the Bellas. It's yeah, always really cool to see. Yeah, it is pretty see. good. Like, I mean, yes, there is only one black person and one Hispanic person and one um, one Asian person, but still, like, it's so, so much better than any other groups. And also, the diverse cast members get, you know, things to say and do and character arcs ahead of the two um, white girls, Ashley and Jessica. Yeah. Okay, so um, shall we do ratings? Yes. Um, I have to think about it for a minute. I think I'm going to get four stars. I was going to go the same four stars. Okay, thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you'd like to read our show notes, they're up on the website, silverscreenqueens.com. If you want to find us on Facebook, we're facebook.com forward slash silverscreenqueens. We're on Twitter at screen underscore queens. We are on Tumblr, tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com. And if you want to read Katie's reviews of Pitch Perfect or any of the other movies she watches, you can go to her website, which is silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com. Thank you for listening. Bye. See you next time.